I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Hello and welcome to Fever FM. Tonight we are going to discuss the uh, one game, the men's game at the stadium. First one for the well for the season. I'm joined by Dale, Dave, and Helena. Hello all. Hello. Hello. Good evening. I should I have gone with hello. <laughs> Ruined it. Let's go again. No, just joking. We that was probably our sixth take, so it's probably all right by now. Um, that wasn't too bad a game he says hopefully we got we got some nice meme ticks ticks in there um where would you like to start first well, let's go through the squad just so you can see uh, all the kids that are being trotted out for value uh alex paulson tim payne scott wooten uh finn sermon lucas kelly healed alex rufa uh nicholas pennington muhammad al tay uh bodajar krayev costa barbarusis and uh oscar zavada pretty um expected lineup i think um i think i think we discussed last week that perhaps ben old would come into the starting lineup for david ball subject to his injury but it um it was a bit of a shape, change in shape wasn't it, it was um hamad altay came in we kind of had three midfielders almost uh christmas three. tree wasn't it it was four three oh, two three one. defensive midfielders it was uh I don't know that they were supposed to be playing all defensive midfielder, but they all seem to get magnetically drawn in there at times. I mean, do we think that they were actually trying to play that? I thought they were trying to play Altay on the right. Um, based on the way that Tim Payne was yelling at him constantly and pointing wide, I'm guessing he was meant to play out wide. Yeah, perhaps more wide-ish rather than wide-wide, um, you know, like in that kind of channel um, rather, as opposed to like a compact middle, middle three. Um, yeah, the, the way uh, Payne was gesticulating, he was either telling him to go a lot wider than he was or to leave the field. And I couldn't really decide because he was yelling a lot. Look, either is possible with Tim Payne is what I would say. I, I think that that's possibly how he greets his friends at times, but he's definitely a vocal vocal man it's not often you can hear people when they're talking from the other in the other direction when you're up in the stands but yeah he, he gets his message across um maybe uh Altay didn't get the message because i think uh, tim payne ended up playing just about right wing most of that game anyway there was certainly a lot of overlapping wasn't there it was yeah i think it probably got through quite a few kilometers i would say Yep. I mean, that's kind of unusual for the, the Knicks that we're having these really bombing forward fullbacks when it's Tim Payne and, and basically four centre-backs across the back. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, given the bodies you had out there, that's almost expected though, right? You, you know your three midfielders were pretty defensively minded. Regardless of where you're asking them to play, they all are naturally more defensive midfield, so someone's going to have to... Uh, give you some width and, and get up the field a bit, right? So the natural position that's going to do that will be your your wings, your, your fullbacks overlapping. So I don't think it's a surprise whether or not it was intended is neither here nor there. I think it's just the nature of having three defensive mids is someone's going to have to get forward and it's most likely those wingbacks. I've got to say, I thought Tim Payne did really well getting forward. I mean, it, we've seen that he can get forward at times, but he tends to sit back. I, I thought he was quite aggressive in coming forward, especially um, at the beginning of those, uh, you know, basically that first half. What I liked, I felt there was much more end product, it was much more polished than we've seen from when we've advanced fullbacks before. Like the, the I felt that the runs were like a lot more accurate. There was tended to be a better final ball, or at least a final ball that I think sometimes we've had fullbacks falling forward and it's just been like, well, they're there and now we're exposed at the back. Whereas this felt, I think there's quite a lot of intention with how the Phoenix played in general, um, which we can talk about. Was it always the right intention and was it always well executed? Well, no, because it's the second game of the season, but it, there was a lot more kind of felt very directional, which is definitely not something I've said often about the Phoenix. What I'm hearing you say, what I'm hearing you say is more centre-backs playing. 
No, I think you've straw manned me. <laughs> I think I may have, but look, my ideal starting eleven is nine centre backs. Nine centre backs. That means you get mm. to play up front, right? Two yeah. goalkeepers, or <laughs> no, maybe a, I don't know, maybe a ten for fun, but definitely nine centre backs. Dave, you bring up uh, goalkeepers, and I think there's probably a, a good time to talk about Alex Paulson. He does give you some heart palpitations with that ball at his feet, but damn, he knows he knows how to play. I mean, he, he's clearly feeling confident back there, and he can play with his feet, but we all know there will be a mistake that will come. There will be a goal that comes from, from that there, whether it will be explicitly his fault or not is neither here nor there, but it's always the risk you take when you're asking your goalkeeper to play out from back there, and it will happen. So I think those heart palpitations might be uh, not unjustified, but at the same time, he's very good back there with his feet and he's, he's clearly got the confidence, which I think you've got to view only as a good thing. Um, you don't want a, a keeper back there trying to play around, trying to, trying to, you know, turn or beat, beat attackers who are running at them who isn't confident. So I'd rather he, he has that confidence and backs himself to, to do it well than, you know, gets caught in two minds and ends up bollocksing it up because of that. I mean, also, it's clearly foundational to, like, what what they're trying to do, right? So it's just percentages. Like, at some point, 100%. he's going to make a mistake, and it's unfortunate yep. for goalkeepers that the mistake is going to be costly. But what he's doing is so fundamental to, I think, the project that Chiefy's got going that I think that as fans, it's like, well, you're going to have to wear that 1% or 2% yep. that is going to be the mistake. I, I, I think that... We're, we've been around long enough to know that it's coming, but I do wonder how the, how a crowd will react if that happens at home. Certainly, the, the my heart rose into my throat when he uh, shimmied it. Was it Ivanovic, I think? Just faked him left and just touched it right and dribbled past him. That's not something I'm used to. And it's... Um, Oh, I feel like I'm going to need to take more blood pressure medication. It, if, it never uh... looked in doubt, though, right? Like the no, only, the no, only definitely thing not. It is just the general layout, but it never looks like an actual problem. That you know, the attacker never gets even close to it. He he fakes him out and beats him beautifully. If that was up the other end and he was a striker shaping to shoot next, you would have said it was a fantastic move. And it, yeah, as you say, it's, it just feels worse because he's that last man in front of goal, and if it goes wrong, it goes very wrong. Yeah, you did right. I, I think Ivanovic didn't know about it until he almost had run into the goal and realised he's just done me. Maybe I should keep going. Mm. Well, the striker comparison is so apt because we shouldn't underestimate just because he's a goalkeeper actually how technically technically good he is. Like it's not a it's actually not a question of strikers in the league working him out because he is that good that if he wants to do it he will do it. It's just the question of him executing. And as we said, like there's going to be mistakes. I think it's something that we kind of, if we want to have this lose pretty style of football this season, then we kind of have to, as we have to collectively get over that a little bit, which sounds crazy, but, and I'm sure that someone's going to call me an idiot on Twitter, but it's true. Is that what you want to call it? Lose pretty? It's actually, my manager at work said that to me about the Phoenix today. He's like, if they're going to lose, they're going to lose pretty. And I think that to an extent it is what it is. I think the, the stronger cliche would be die on your feet. But I respect it. It's intention. We did. We didn't lose. We won. But would you say we won pretty? I, 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 that's the thing I struggle with. I think. I think I wouldn't describe necessarily what we're playing as pretty football. It's not ugly football. It's it's somewhere in between. It's it's you know lipstick on a pig almost. Like it's it's trying to pretty it up, but it's not pretty yet. That's for damn sure. Well, especially not when you have like someone giving away that handball, right? That's obviously not vintage. It's not Pep's Barcelona, but the intention. <laughs> I, mean, I think there are other moments <laughs> we can also say are not Pep, Pep's Barcelona. I think it, yeah. But it's, it's peak A-League. There's definitely some A-League quality. Sorry, Dale, we'll cut you off. Oh, I was going to say, it's, a, it's an attempt, right? I think it's, uh, mm. they have a, you know, a system they're trying to do. And for the most part, they're doing it okay in the back back half. 
I don't think forcing is the one that gives me the most palpitations. I think some of the balls we played into people like you know Rufa, who's facing his own goal and he, you know, he and he's trying to do a one touch off to someone else. Those are the ones that get me a bit more worried. But yeah, you, you can try to you can see the system they're trying to play. Uh, they're trying to drag out some of their players to create space and and behind, you know, further up the field. Mm. It's trying to entice teams to press. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. and for the for that first half an hour. Perth couldn't even get on the ball. Like we we basically had, you know, seventy five percent of the ball. They just could not get anywhere near us, and we looked, you know, well on top of them. And yeah, probably should have had three goals in that first thirty minutes um, before they even had a shot in anger. Um, and obviously, I think they had a bit maybe a substitution and a bit of change in a formation shift that sort of brought them back more even. But we looked really good for that first half an hour. Yeah, I mean, when I say pretty, I obviously mean a league pretty, right? You know, like I'm not. It's not. It's not an objective term. Like it shifts depending on the league that you're in, and you know the A League, League One. These are these are different different standards to the rest of the leagues. I think you made a good point, Dale, about the our ability to play forwards in that back third. We were quite good at getting that, but it was just that transition through that middle third, transitioning it to the you know the the attacking midfielders and the strikers that we seemed a little limited in. Do we think that that's kind of just down to we don't have a passing defensive midfielder, you know, a passing defensive midfielder or, you know, box-to-box midfielder? Is that a bit of a, a weakness based on the team we saw? Well, I, th- I think what we do have is I think Pennington's a fairly good long passer of the ball. I think he gets into trouble when he tries to play a bit more short and into sort of more um, congested areas and... I think yeah, part of I think part of their strategy is is to drag out drag out some of their players forward so it creates a bit more space that then perhaps the longer pass, and I don't mean a long ball, I mean you know, deliberate sort of cross field kind of stuff is is where we try to split open their backlines a bit more, or at least make their their backlines spread. Yeah, you know, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna pass it on the edge of the box. You know, three or four, five touches at the edge of the box and knock it, you know, behind for a chance, you know, that's just not going to work for us. You know, if we had a Davila or someone like that, maybe it would be. But I think we're trying to play a little bit horses for courses here. Uh, something I did like from the forwards actually was uh, we saw Cryov start dropping a lot deeper to pick up that ball um, effectively in a deep midfield pocket more than, you know, an attacking midfield pocket. What did you think about that? Did, I mean, he did pick up the ball, but it does leave did leave us a bit short further up the field um, with obviously just two people ahead of him, Cryov, uh, sorry, not Cryov, uh, Zavada and Costa. Does that limit us too much by him picking up the ball there or is that just a symptom of we need to get that ball into that middle third to start progressing it through? But, but I think that's his game. I think running that players is his game, isn't it? Like I think last year when he first came in, that's when he looked most dangerous. You know, he had that good... The goal against Western United, where he kind of ran from halfway for 30 or 40 yards and mm. killed at top pins. And at the start of the season, when he was, you know, our, our you know top goal scorer at one stage, I think picking up from sort of deepish areas and running at players and making them, you know, think about what they need to do. I think that is his game. I don't think he's the kind of stay high and wide and, and you know get in behind defenders. I think he he's he's the sort of more running game. I think he definitely feels like he. It looks like he feels a lot more comfortable central rather than wide, like he's a traditional 10 rather than a wide 10 that we play. Is Do you think he's going to get more license to do that? Or is that just a symptom of progressing the ball forward and this is the way that we think it's going to happen? If we, say, get you know um, Ben Old coming in or uh, maybe uh, more of a passing option with one of the young kids coming through, that that's going to change as well? Or is this? Do you think that that's the way he should be playing? That's the way he will be playing. I mean, I, th- I think he's going to have a bit of license to do what he likes there. I think you're gonna you're gonna see some personnel change around him, but I don't think with an import player of his quality, you're not going to say to him, "Do what you do well." I think surely that's going to be a part of any setup there. But I do think, depending on who else is on the field, you will see um, him doing that more or less. You know, um, when you've got three defensively minded midfielders on there it's hardly a surprise that he's coming in and filling a bit of a hole that's there in the midfield. 
um, and looking to help that transition from midfield to the to the front third. But I think if you had it been old on the field, you might see him take on a slightly different role. He's still going to go looking for the ball. He still likes to be central, and he still likes to you know get himself involved. So I think he'll have some license. But I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how. I guess the shape and tactics develop from Chiefy. Obviously, he's not afraid to tinker with things a little bit. We're not going to see, um, you know, that kind of consistent formation week in, week out, I don't think. I think he is going to tinker. I think he's he backs himself as a bit of a tactician who likes to change things and likes to play the players who he thinks are going to be most effective against an opposition. But I don't think we're going to see him completely changing the system week to week. You know, it'll be, it'll be tinkering around the edges of a core structure he likes but i don't know that we've necessarily seen enough to know exactly what that core structure is you know we have the the broad strokes of it but i think we're going to need to see a few more games to be kind of sure what the the key tenants i guess of of that chiefy philosophy are i do also think you'll see cryo change right like you'll see like you said like you said Dave, like cryo's gonna adjust because i think partly what we saw was a reaction to stage ball and the way that Stadrich team is set up to try and crush you, you need a playmaker to kind of drop and receive. It's what the Ferns failed to do against the Philippines. Oh, don't. They got too soon. Too soon. Sorry, but it's stage ball. I had to, I had, I had to bring it up. Um, but I don't think that there'll be, there'll be other teams in the league where that won't be the solution. I think Cryo has got the quality to kind of adapt to solve the problem, which is what, you know, it's what you're supposed to develop footballers to do. I think, he's been given the license to solve problems is probably as, as strongly as I put it. Well, obviously, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of get more into the game uh, in the specifics. Be, uh, the goal definitely was nothing to do with tactics. It was to do with possibly uh, shelling some dead weight the previous season. Um, uh, did anyone not see this goal coming from Ollie? Like, I was hoping that... The, the um, social media were going to make him our man of the match, but they didn't. And in like in the specifics of the game, it looked like he was going to maybe struggle, but that little voice in the back of I'm sure every Phoenix fan's head was going, "He's going to have an absolute blinder today. He'll score two goals and save fifty penalties." You know, that's that's how it goes for us. A, a keeper we've got rid of during the uh, you know the off season who seems to be a bit out of form. The, the fairy tale is just written for us to play him back into, you know, a, a, an absolute blinding rest of the season, starting with, you know, 10 out of 10 performance against us. So so on that, you know, the meta level, I didn't expect it to go quite like this, but it couldn't have been more perfect as it, as it played out. I, I didn't expect it to play out how it did. Like, yeah, I think we said last week, you know, Sale is, is not the best with his with his feet and with his um yeah with the ball in his feet and, and so what that tends to is he doesn't really play out that much like he tends to you know to get the ball and just knock it long and so i wasn't expecting them to to play out like they did and you know obviously it worked worked in our favor so i kind of expected you know him to you know drop across or come for something or didn't come with it get it or um maybe misread a through ball or, or something like that that he's done for us in the past i didn't expect him to to fail so spectacularly with the ball at his feet because he just doesn't usually play out that much unless it's a guaranteed kind of like here's your five yard pass to my center back he just doesn't really do it i agree with that i expected him to like come out for a long ball and get his judgment wrong or something and for that to be the thing i didn't expect him to literally assist zavada i kind of did because well not specifically to assist zavada but he seems to be one of these goalkeepers that gets a bit of a nosebleed the further he goes out, especially if he comes outside his box. He's got the yips about him. Like when he, um, uh, was it the All Whites game? There's definitely one that he's kind of come out. There was the preseason game where he did the same thing. He's dropped that one the last time. He just seems like he's not comfortable coming forwards, especially the way that in comparison to Paulson. But to basically pay, play a half-assed, pass while falling over and whack it straight to the opposition striker that's um to quote a certain member of this pod pk league thank god zawada finished it though because this is this is that sort of range where you definitely see strikers balls that up you know it's there should just be an easy you know chip it over anywhere on target will do you don't need to you don't need to do too much and instead 
they do too much. So it was nice to see him just calmly slot that. Doesn't overthink it at all, just finish. Yep. I mean, there's real quality in that finish, actually. You say, like, put it anywhere. Yeah. But he didn't put it anywhere. He kind of put it into side no. netting. With a yeah, fair yeah. Bit of he does very it. well with it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good to see, you know, that he's in that kind of nick. Yeah, I mean, I mean he, he didn't rush it, right? No, just not went, this one. Took a touch, but looked up. I, I, My concern is I still feel like as you say, this was a pretty tidy finish, but we haven't seen tidy, good, confident finishing from him so far. So, mm. and he doesn't score braces. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to say he's in good nick yet. Cause I want to see that, but this was very nice finish. You know, he could have done a hell of a lot less with it and still scored, but he, he nailed it. Yeah. I, I was, I was a little disappointed with Zawada this game. He, didn't seem to get involved. Um, I don't know that whether that was because Crive was dropping a lot, but his his influence on the game seemed relatively minimal. The goal aside, um, I was I was kind of hoping for more. It didn't do anything wrong, but it did feel like he wasn't really imposing himself on the game. I, I think that we're probably going to see this quite a lot this season. I think you know teams are going to target him and double double team and i think his influence will be much less in it and the, the task for you know the coach and our players is to find an alternative route route to goal yeah i just i i feel like you know he's gonna start needing to and he does he drops you know drops shorts to try and drag some central defenders out to create a bit of space you know he's still trying to play some some balls in behind but i just, I, I don't think we're going to get the same output as we did last year i think purely because i think he's going to be yeah, quite heavily marked. Second season blues, basically. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's blues. Like you know, it may look blues because he's perhaps not going to score. You know, fifteen yeah. goals. But I think just his ability to, yeah, to get as much space as perhaps he did last year, is is probably a little bit more limited. Like I think we saw against Wanderers. You know, any time the balls in the box, you know, near the box, he had two. They two centre backs on him either side of him. And it's pretty hard to, to get around that, but it does create space somewhere else that other players need to to pick it up. Yeah, I think if you're if you're watching the video footage from last season and doing your scouting as an opposition, right, you you know he's a man you need to be paying attention to, and that's going to affect your first matchups of the season, right? Once there's a bit more of the season to look at, you might you might change that tactic, but going in, that's very much the case. Is you need to you need to keep him out of the game, and so they'll be targeting that. And the thing is. If he does start finding a way into the game, as Dale says, they will target him even more. So I think I think it's yeah, it's going to be uh, a tough season for him, maybe in terms of goals. But that doesn't necessarily it can't be a mean it can't be a very productive season for him. Just different way, right? Dragging those defenders out and creating opportunities around him is just as valuable for the team. But maybe maybe not quite so much glory for you. Yeah, it seems like it's got to be. It, it, he's got to adapt this beginning of the season and figure out a way you can be influential even if it's not on the ball um it certainly uh Crive was looking like he was enjoying the time and space afforded there he got a lot more involved in that final third we saw a lot more shots from him this game than we've seen in quite a while it, do you think that that's maybe that is um Zavada basically just coaxing um, a bit of space for the rest of the team. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, maybe, maybe it's a bit symptomatic of the way they, they, they set up as, as well. Yeah, it's sort of the ability for him to sort of start wide, picking up the ball and sort of drive towards the, the goal has been um, is, is, is really what he's what he's best at. And the key for us is to make sure that that um, Zawada up top isn't compacting that those that drive in towards the centre. You know, he's moving to make some space and drag some players out the way to, to make it work. Let's talk about the uh, Perth uh, goal. Uh, set piece, um, good cross, um, and very good head. I, I did feel like that it wasn't made as hard for Beavers as it could have been. He's obviously very good in the air, but there didn't seem to be a lot of heavy bodies be, being put on him. No, it's it's all a little little too easy, right? I think you know it's 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 a good ball in, it's a good head, but 
should it be that simple? It's largely uncontested. I mean, he's 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 a tall man, but there are a lot of defenders there, and none of them really challenge him. Um, so I think I think that's something in in your analysis after the game as a coaching group, you'd be looking at you know who needed to pick him up, why, what what went wrong there in terms of making this as easy as it was. But that said, you're going to concede some some set piece goals across a season. This one's a very soft one, but you know they're going to happen sometimes. So at least it's still three points. Yeah, I was watching the replay after, and um, Beavers actually starts out a bit deeper from the attacking line, and so there's no one actually picked him up because we're playing a bit more zonally, and he just makes a very slow run into that front line, and just no one sort of picks him up. I think Lucas Kelly Hill's in front of him, who's picked up his marker, but... I don't think he's noticed the guy slipping in behind him. So he hasn't really jumped to compete because I don't think he thinks anyone's there. So he's just kind of ended up having to pick up two players, but hasn't noticed the second one behind him. And I think that's kind of basically left him with a, with a free head. And I think I think it might have been Sermon at the back who had his own player. So just a, a, bad, just a bad sort of read um, and a sort of a lack of any kind of, you know, challenge. Yeah, it's something that I, I really hoped I wouldn't be seeing this year with the amount of tall timber in, in our back four. I mean, Tim Payne aside, that's a bunch of tall individuals and you kind of hope that they're going to get up there and dominate, especially you've got four centre-backs there. This should be, I guess, the, the bread and butter of, you know, of defending, that being able to defend that set piece, the ball in the air into the, into the uh, six-yard box. It's kind of, it, did it feel a little disappointing to you in, with that in mind? Yeah, but I mean, it's not just height, is it, right? You know, it's scanning and it's, like you say, it's reading and understanding where, how you set up defensively leaves space. Like, it's it's always going to be something that does actually, I think, take a bit of time for, like, those new academy players, for example, to adjust to that. Yeah, there's been, there was a couple of, watching the replays, a couple of instances where Kelly Hill gets really caught out by lack, lack of, of game awareness. Like, I think their first chance that the one that kind of was a few shots and then the guy had a tap in from about two yards and went out towards the corner flag, that came down his his side and he, he it was his player who played inside and then made a run in behind him. He just kind of watched him run past him. So, and I think there was another time, another chance, I think, went down his side as well. So, yes, they're tall, but it's also the, you know, the experience as well. I think, you know, Sermon's getting a bit more experience, uh, but, you know, Kelly Held's, you know, very raw at this level. Um, so we're probably likely to see some, you know, mistakes or switching off from him because he's young. Yeah, I think that's the thing that really makes a step up, you know, even in my pretty mediocre playing career, when I think of the major step steps up that existed, it was actually always the amount of attentiveness that was required like each time I stepped up a level, it was feeling like the first games were like you were in a washing machine with how much you were having to pay attention 360 degrees. And so for someone coming from academy into the professional men's football for the first time, that's got to be tenfold that effect in terms of just the attentiveness required and the fact that you can't switch off. So I think to me, it reflects that jump as much as anything else. And, and like Dale says, it's like he's young, it's going to happen. It's a bit like this whole Pawson thing. It's just statistically it's going to happen. Um, yeah, and that's not to diminish the really good things he's doing as well because, honestly, for a guy who's making such a big step up, there are a long list of positives you can take from from him each week. You know, he's doing some things really well, but you can tell, as Dale as says, he's still raw. He's still green at this level, and there are going to be gaps in that. But we've seen we've seen players try and step up and look a hell of a lot worse than he does. You know, you can see... Um, there's positives there. And I would say at this point, the positives are still outweighing those negatives, but there's some rough edges that, that need to be, you know, polished up a bit. And that, that's going to come with time. But y- yeah, I think to single him out from a couple of mistakes is probably fair, but it doesn't diminish in any way the big positives he's bringing too. Well, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't have an alternative at the moment either because Sam Sutton's out longer termish, So <laughs> we don't really got any choice about it. Yeah. That's very uplifting, Dale. Well, it's a valid assessment of the facts, right? We've seen how heavily that knee's been strapped, even when he does play. It's it's looking a bit untidy. I, I've got. To, I want to give a shout out to um, Finn Sermon. Obviously, he's a young fella that hasn't had. A, he has been in the pro team for a little bit, but has been limited minutes. 
I thought his ability to start was actually really good. Uh, and the block he pulled off was just really uh, straight out of his under-20s playbook. I, I can't tell you how many he did for the under-20s, but he certainly pulled off a great one just to save Paulson having having to potentially make it an absolute screamer. Um, uh, his general play looked really tidy too. I mean, did do you guys think the same thing, or am I just projecting onto him? No, I, I think he looks good. I think he... Um... He clearly is is developing well. You know, we are, I think, seeing those rougher edges start to start to come off a little for him. So I think I think it's good. But I yeah, I, I think we're hopefully seeing the emergence of a couple of those gems we've been hoping that this kind of youth focus would would bring about. Um I think much as much as they will keep improving week in, week out, and, and Sermon's a good example of that, you know, more minutes under his belt and he's looking more and more complete as a player, there are still going to be mistakes and there are still gonna be gaps in the game um and yeah it'll it'll keep developing and i think you know i was, I was talking about with someone it might have even been you frosty um about how you know because of this this youth approach you'd expect us to arguably be a slow starter for the season right because you'd expect us to be on an upwards trajectory across the entire year as these guys get more and more minutes but if, if you're considering this the low ebb of where we expect to get to this season it looks really, really good. Um, you know, I think it's probably better than a lot of us expected it might have been. And this is still the low ebb in theory. Yeah, and I think what's exciting for me is like we know at this point that the the Phoenix Academy are doing something right. We've we've seen enough evidence to know that they're creating good professionals. And I think what excites me about that is we can expect these young players to learn quickly because they're set up to understand how to assess their own game how to adjust and correct mistakes and respond to mistakes and i think like that to me gives me even more hope like as you say if this is the low ebb i think the trajectory is potentially quite exciting and i also like what i saw from chiefy for example with the mistake with the handball in the in the presser afterwards he's just made a joke about oh we've got a third goalkeeper like if that's the environment in terms of yep it's kids they're good footballers let's keep on keeping on then i think that's actually that's a really interesting point about the the progression of academy players elena um if i think back to so those first kids that came through out of the academy guys like rufa um what was his name the other six that played there matt redenton redenton thank you um yeah they took a number of years to find their feet and there was a lot of um a lot of patience with them and we're not seeing that level of um, uh, of slow development with a, with a lot of these players. I mean, it was basically Redenton and Rufa were the only two that were kind of coming through. Fenton, obviously, but to a lesser degree. And they took ages to come through. And now we're seeing lots more players, and some of them aren't taking any time really at all. And some, you know, are showing pretty pretty steady progress all the way through. So I think you I think you're bang on, Helena. That that's a really good point. Well, it's just what we say. Um, it's what lawyers say about law school. It's like you're not learning the law. What you're learning is how to teach yourself the law. And I think it's kind of the same concept. Like we're not creating an academy full of ready-made footballers who are going to instantly step up to the professional level. What we're working towards is people who know how to step up quickly and how to make their own improvements. And I think that that's what the Phoenix Academy is. What we're already seeing is that's the bit that they're really nailing. Like, it's ridiculous to expect academy products to be first team ready like ikea furniture but what we're seeing is that the progression is always in place and i think that's just very exciting for the club i think it's something we talked about in our kind of pre-season previews and stuff as well is that being new zealand based and just the nature of football here both men's and women's is that it is a big step up we don't have anything to kind of bridge that gap between our our central national league kind of level and the a-league um, you know, those those teams over in Australia, there's still a gap, you know, stepping up from from their National League's football is still a big step up, but there's a, a little less of a step, you know, they've, they've got a couple more rungs in the ladder in between, I guess, than, than we do. And so I think I think you're right, we have to we have to approach it differently. And um, 
you know that's always going to be the case and you know you compare the the academy of old and how how little football it was able to play and and all of that stuff to what it is now and and you know it's a year-round program across a, a large range of age groups and you know they're, they're playing competitive football in a very different way to that early academy and what they were actually able to do in terms of football so much as at that point it was a, an academy in the sense of you know the, the level of training and the level of coaching and the level of support that was being provided there it now is an academy that can offer a lot more football, uh, which helps a lot, but we're still going to have that gap. We need these players to step up. And, and that's the the thing I think Helene is referring to there. If, you know, the way they're teaching them to make that step up without, you know, being a Barca who can have you playing at an incredibly high level while still considered an academy it, it player. Kind of underlines Domi's point about the Auckland franchise too, that it's going to be so difficult for them to set up or to get players uh, up to the level of a league without having a you know a well-established um academy as well a billion dollars helps a lot on some of those issues though yes but it does reinforce the what the phoenix yeah. is doing and locking down these academy players is probably a very good bit 100%. of business yeah uh, i think dale you pointed out that in uh, one of the phoenix blurbs that they were subtly hinting that someone was getting a contract extension to 2027 was it yeah, and I think it was much subtly, subtlety about it. <laughs> well, it was subtle and they didn't say who. Well, no, but it's apparently been announced at 10 o'clock tomorrow. So there's only two, there's only two younger, younger players are off contract at the end of the season. One's Paulson, one's um, Ben Old. So you'd expect it to be one of those guys. It'd be a bold call with Ben Old's injuries to kind of be throwing that kind of contract. And, oh, for all that he's actually looked pretty good, but, you know, Paulson... I, I was thinking Paulson or maybe Sermon. Yeah, I mean, well, Sermon's already got a contract beyond this year, so I'd be very surprised if it's one of that. But I think Paulson's Paulson's an Auckland kid, eh? I think. So if we manage to tie him down, if we tie him down for another, you know, longer term, that's that's pretty handy business going into, you know, potential, um, you know, competition next year for for Kiwi players. It really does start to begin to narrow down the. The number of players that they can recruit who have played professionally, at least in the A League, there might be some, you know, from overseas. But yeah, and I think I think from if you're if you're Paulson as well, it's probably not a bad time to be signing a contract like that. You know, it takes one thing off your mind being able to secure the next couple of years um, at a club. You know, he's obviously capable of playing this level. Probably is aware he's not going to be ready to make the big move to Europe or whatever within that sort of time frame. So locking that in and, you know, just taking one thing out of your mind, you know, you don't want to be hitting into the last few rounds having started well and then had a, a bunch of shit weeks where you shipped heaps of goals and suddenly you're worrying about whether or not you're playing for, for a contract next season, you know. At this point, he's performing well. Take it out, take it out of the equation kind of makes sense from his perspective as well. And he's young enough and the club are, you know, their history would suggest that if the right opportunity came, you know, if a big European club came calling, they wouldn't stop him going, right? But it, yep. it keeps him out of the A-League merry-go-round and, you know, gives him gives him that stability for the next few years, which seems a no-brainer. So if it's him, I think it's probably good on all fronts, right? Yeah, I think and he's exceptionally young for a goalkeeper too. So it doesn't hurt him to have a long term, longer-term contract. Um, I think we, we've... Um, kind of buried the lead a little bit that that second goal um bears a bit more talking about than we've given it uh just a, a really solid bit of team football uh i think it was um costa coming up the left centering it into um a short pass into uh, zavada who's drawn that last man and just passed out wide to give uh Kriver a basically a free shot this was quality football and just done simply, wasn't it? Absolutely. I think it was Ben Old, I think, who came up with the intercept on, on midfield. And I, I think this is part of, you know, part of the other, you know, avenue of, of attack that, you know, Chief is looking for is to wait until it goes into a dangerous area and try pluck pluck it, you know, pluck it off and, and break from there. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to get any sort of, you know, relentless high pressing or anything like that, but I think that it, They'll be looking for you know pick their moments or where they think there's some weakness or a, a loose pass to to grab onto and, and, and break because that's where we'll, we'll get the most space from. Yeah, I think you're right about that. The way we were dropping in defensively, we're not looking to press at all. It looks a lot to me like it looks quite a lot like futsal. 
it's how you defend a foot, so you wait for a good trigger. And I also would say that it was quite pretty, which was an adjective that was maligned at the beginning of this podcast. And yet we have returned to it. Yeah, I, I think it's probably um, pretty decent for uh, both Ball, Zavada and uh, Crive. Because we know as much as they can put themselves about, they do tire out relatively quickly. And saving their legs probably isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, speaking of Ball's legs, how do, do we know uh, if it's how bad his injury is? Well, he came on, so it can't be that, can't be that terminal. I can't remember how many, how many minutes he got. Was it like 10 maybe? Because I think it was after oh, the goal, wasn't not it? Not many. Yeah, not many. Uh, we should we should get on to the uh, the um, I guess the defining moment of this game. Um, I I've I've got to describe this as uh, Lucas Kelly Hield having a bit of a brain fade, a nothing cross coming in. Kelly Hield's covering it, looking over his shoulder, just checking for defender uh, attackers trying to come in and pinch the ball, and leaving his arm out and not realising where the ball was. I mean, it's got to have hit, hit his hand maybe inches in front of the, the goal line. This is horrible. Is there any other way to describe it? I mean, I think you could take a, a more positive view and say it was incredibly unlucky because I think I think you're right. He, he loses sight of where the ball is. He's much more focused on whether or not he needs to shield a defender and, and make sure we, we get this goal kick. And it's just poor luck that it happens to land right on his hand. Um, I, you know, I think there were some people at the ground who seemed to think he had tried to do this, that there was some intent that he he was, you know, stuck his arm out on purpose. No, he's just running and it's just there and it it comes down awkwardly, you know. Young young kid, tall, lanky, all limbs. They, you know, <laughs> they run funny and the ball hits his hand. It, it, to me, it just felt like an unlucky moment. When I saw the Twitter conversation, I thought it was like, I thought it was terrible and like real stupid and then he like stuck his arm out and then I went and watched the clip and I was like that is very unlucky and you know the thing is we've been talking about learning to correct your own mistakes I think he was probably quite paranoid about checking his shoulder after the scheme of the game and so I don't mind that I'd actually rather he be concerned about the defender because the odds of that ball hitting that hand are so slim and, and, you know, and now we're going to see him like awkwardly over checking where his arms are for a few weeks for sure. And he'll make a different mistake because of it. Cause I agree with you. I think, I think I would prefer he's checking over his shoulder than worrying about where that ball's coming down in terms of his hand. You know, if he's a, if he's at a different point of his stride, doesn't hit his hand. Well, you'll see professional footballers pay way less attention than that. And that won't happen. He's not, he's not checking for defenders. He's turning to run, run back to halfway, isn't it? And, and the, the turning of the body, you know, flings naturally flings your arms out, and that's what's happened, hasn't it? No, I, I saw. I he was kind of giving it the head turn, so I thought he was still kind of looking around. He might have been doing that as well, but he was definitely checking over his shoulders. When I think about how, when I think about how I would be in that situation, when you shield, it is a little bit performative, but you, it's what you're taught to do. You're taught to check. Like, it, to me, it just looked like typical shielding with that slightly over-exaggerated head check, which, yes, sprung his arm out. Also, shoulders up and out, right? If, mm. if he was turning, I would expect them to basically just, when you go to turn, you kind of shrink a little bit and turn around, whereas he was just kind of like, no, no, I'm I'm chasing, oh, no. It's a, it is a thing you're taught to do this exaggerated look. Like, it is a little bit performance art, but I think that's what was going on. I've I've got to admit I I saw it live and I saw him pull his hand back when it hit and I'm kind of like oh god he thinks it's in the box I'm like oh no and I'm just going oh no and everyone around me is looking like I'm having a, a stroke no. or something um, it was oh, a horrible moment just waiting for the VAR to happen it, it's just the slowest minute I mean the second it happened I was certain it was a pen I don't know there were there were people up the crowd going no no it's over the line I'm like I've watched the replays it's not that close. It's, it's in the box. It's a pretty easy decision to make, you know. When we're talking whole ball, it's the whole ball is not gone. At best, it might be above the line. You know, it's... Ah, there, was no, there was no anxious wait for me. <laughs> I was just seeing discourse because I was cooking and checking, checking Twitter and I was just seeing endless discourse. I was like, what has gone on? Lucas, Lucas thought it was. I mean, that's... <laughs> I thought this was a, this 
was and should be a, a stonewall penalty like you know it's just so far negligent about you know the game of football that you should not you know you should be punished for being that bad but chris kerr jumped in uh, and he's probably listening he jumped into my response and, and said that he thinks that the, the common sense response as a ref should be to give a corner kick because you know he hasn't meant meant to do it um and it's it's so close to the goal line that there's no actual kind of game implications is there a law that says you can do that no, but what I think is that the interpretation, and I hesitate now that you've premised it this way to give an opinion on the handball rules. However, I'm not sure it was an unnatural position. No, but we've seen the way unnatural position is interpreted has nothing to do with what either of those words mean, right? I think if it were anywhere that, I think if it wasn't such a weird situation, it possibly wouldn't be given in just an orthodox situation. It's just, I don't know, it's just strange. I, I think yeah. I think it, it, I agree with you, Dal. I think this is absolutely a penalty. I think I think based on the way we've seen the laws applied, his hand is outside the silhouette of his body. It strikes the hand very clearly. It's inside the box. I don't I don't see any way you can not give this. But if we want to go back to discussing things like natural body positions, I can find you a hundred other penalties that shouldn't have been given because their arms were in natural positions and they didn't intend to do this they weren't you know this whole making their body unnaturally larger bullshit we hear they're not trying to make their their body unnaturally larger that's just where your arms are when you're defending sometimes you know and we've we've taken to interpreting the rule regardless of what the words say in the laws of the game to mean outside the silhouette his arm is clearly outside the silhouette it strikes it it's in the box i it's a penalty and he knew when it happened it was a penalty um but i think i would i would be very in favor of going back to an interpretation that actually is what the words in the law of the game say which is around natural positions it's it's all sorts of things that is not what we see in terms of application at the law at the moment i i guess the there's the kind of like is is he moving his hand towards the ball in a kind of purposeful way and i don't think he is i think you know he's trying to turn his body and either to run away or to look and in turning your body your arms naturally move yeah. you know they they tend to go yeah. they don't stay by your side so mm. it i feel like his movement is a natural kind of where you would expect well, your arms to be now whether dale i'm gonna take a point with you because defenders now defend defend those crosses with their hands behind their backs because of this very situation but they're, they're trying to take take they're trying to take the decision making out right you know if, if you've got time to think about your if you've got time to think about to be able to do that then that's 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 fine but in a split second moment where you're reacting to a ricochet or a, a something you don't really think oh perhaps i should put my arms behind my back now there's circumstances where you yeah. can do it and circumstances where the thing's just gone so quick you, you can't possibly have done it. I mean, I think this brings me to a more general point and I'm going to bring up something triggering. So, you know, content warning, football fans versus Philippines. But I think there's a shared thread here, which like when you look at that, why that offside call, which was technically correct for Hannah Wilkinson was so enraging and difficult to deal with. It's because you're kind of like, well, what is the rule doing in terms of protecting the flow of the game? Because she's not going to score with her earlobe from 50, 60 yards. It's just blind to the game situation. And I think that's kind of a similar motivating concern here, which is, I think is, has just been pointed out to you, Dale. It's like, well, it's literally inches on the goal line. There's no one around him. It's just dropped and brushed his hand. Like, what is this rule doing? The purpose of the rule seems disconnected from how we're interpreting the rule, which is why it feels like it doesn't feel right. And I think that's something that football kind of has to think about a little bit because in general, football's quite good at framing rules so that the integrity of the game is preserved versus, say, trigger warning, all blacks, rugby. But these are kind of some instances where it's the, that's not quite clicking, it's not driving. I'm imagining you're going to be a defence attorney, aren't you, Helena? <laughs> no, actually. Because it's feeling very much like you're defending some kind, <laughs> some kind of organised crime, Don, right now. It's like you're trying very hard. Organised crime, Hannah Wilkinson. My client stole that, that food product, but it was one day away from expiry, so does it really matter? That's a ridiculous straw man. 
<laughs> it doesn't it in any way. There is no logical connection between the reasoning that I laid out. Your Honor, I object. <laughs> um, no, but I think I think I think you're right. I think we can look at examples, right? Where it was a few, it was a few seasons ago. It was I think Roofer, where he'd he'd got fouled quite spectacularly, and then the act of rolling injured on the ground had managed to spring someone that no one thought was on purpose at all. No one did at the time. No one will in the future. It was a completely accidental thing, but it was a red card. It was upheld. You know, all of that stuff happened, and it's one of those ones where it's like. I think, as you say, there's that disconnect between how we apply these laws and what the laws we're trying to achieve. And a player falling down and rolling in a completely natural fashion isn't what that red card rule was designed to do. So it's that discussion around what are we trying to apply this for? Is is the application of, say, a red card rule around protecting players from injury, from dangerous actions from other players, or is it just around finding frames where actions can look dangerous through a particular, you know, way of looking at them where injuries might occur in an accidental way. Um, and that's the thing we've got to look for there. Cause I think, you know, the, the way you choose to apply those things can change that entirely. But I think the handball rule is one we have more than enough precedent globally across football now that what is written in the law of the game is not what they are intending to apply. The application is quite different from the words as anyone would interpret them if they were to read them, but it's consistent at least. Whereas there are lots of other areas of the game that are still inconsistent. Handball rule, if we're going to relitigate it, and to be honest, I would be quite happy for it to change, same as I'd be quite happy for the offside rule to change, have that discussion and change the rule. But this time, can we please just write down what we mean it to mean rather than writing something and applying it differently. I wonder if it's similar to like, you know, when strikers have a shot and it's gone yeah, high and wide, but then it's get, they get collected by, you know, uh, a defender who's trying to block the shot. Whereas I guess technically it's a foul, but it's kind of just like waved because, you know, you had your shot and the kind of plays moved on. And it's kind of in that kind of same ballpark of technically correct, but which is the best kind of correct. <laughs> Um, and what's actually, well, it helps the game, I guess. Yes, which brings me back to my point. What are, what are we trying to achieve? Are we yeah. trying to preserve the integrity of the flow of the football game? Like what? We need clarity on that. All, all of this said, is there anyone here who's not giving the penalty? No, I'm giving the penalty. It, it's a penalty, right? Frosty? Frosty, you've got to answer. I see you there. Uh, 100%. <laughs> I called it at the time. It's just like, this is just annoying. Yeah. Um, so... And I wonder if you if you well, if you don't if you don't get the penalty, do you get flamed by the referee's boss for not giving it as well? Yeah, probably. You probably get pinged in your match report saying you missed it. I am going to uh, cut off the rest of this chat because I know that this is a rabbit hole we are never getting out of unless we get leave it now. Um, it's not the first time we've been down it either. No, it and it won't be the last. Let's be honest. This is a rabbit hole that keeps popping up. Um, let's go round the uh, round the houses and just wrap up the rest of the. Well, do you want to do you want to talk about what happens after the penalty is awarded at all? Oh, true. God, talk about bearing the lead. Yeah, they scored it. It was two all. Let's go. Um, I, I feel like yeah, maybe maybe a little event occurred. I was almost taking it as a given that everyone knew. Um, well, yes, Adam Taggart, uh, a decent penalty taker, steps up to take it. Let's just be honest. It wasn't. It wasn't the best placed penalty going to his left. It was hit quite well though. Um, and uh, Alex Paulson has guessed right, got down nice and low, and got a good hand on it. He he's he's read this because Adam Taggart is a stutterer penalty, right? So people who run up, pause, and then wait for the, go the the goalkeeper to make a move, and then slot it the other side. So if you slow down, you watch Paulson from the behind angle. He does a small step to the left, which would mean that the the yep. kicker takes goes to the right and then he's pushed back to the right to make the save. So he has suckered Adam Taggart into into where he's put it. And because he hasn't had time 100%. to react or um, he hasn't had a good clean hit on it, he's made the save quite comfortably. He pushes the ball miles past the post. It isn't just like just past. It's like out towards the corner of the six-yard box. He's got a good hand on that. Yep, 100% agree. It's, it, it's an earned save, not a guest save. 
Um, he's done very, very well there. And, and you see a lot worse penalties still go in. So I, I agree with you. Like, it's not it's not the best place penalty, but you, you see them placed a lot worse and still score. Yeah, well, that's the point of the stutter step. That is the point of the stutter step, is that you don't have to worry so much about placement, but this is always the weakness of the stutter step. But it's so rare that you see a goalkeeper able to to, to call that bluff and to, to fake the faking. It's It's really cool to see. And I think it just plays into this confidence that Alex Paulson has generally in his game. There's a swagger to it. And the way he just stands up after that save as well, and they're all going crazy. And he's like, yep, I knew it. I read it. I saved it. He doesn't say that. He says corner. It's a yeah, corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yelling at his defenders to sort it out. He has one second where he basks in it, and then he's straight into sorting out his defenders. He's like, no, no, no. We're not celebrating now. Get away with your hugs. Oh, we got a corner. He yeah. literally pushes the defenders away and turns them to face the corner. I, I was loving that. I, apparently, Dave loved it as well. Just that focus on what he's doing, especially for a young man who deserves to bask in that a lot more, but was aware that they were trying to do, pull a Swifty and get a, a corner in quickly. That's pretty good, right? Dale would know this as well as anyone. As a keeper, you very rarely get to bask until the full-time whistle's already gone. Well, can we give a shout-out to the, the rest of the team when the full-time whistle did go? Almost to a man, they just ran straight at Alex Paulson. Uh, to congratulate him on on a, a great game, and especially saving their bacon and two points, um, that that's really commendable that they they at least had the awareness. That, okay, Alex has had a great one. Let's make sure he's a we appreciate him. Yeah, we got out of jail. I think in that game, I think hundred percent based on. I think a draw probably would have pretty fair fair results. So to 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 eke out three points and you know to do it relatively last minute with a with a penalty save. Um, it makes it a nice change. I do agree with you, but can see but losing two points based on that handball would have felt horrible as well. Yeah, and you just don't get that from the Phoenix normally early in the season, you know? So Yeah, they they did have two very good chances um in that first half as well that um yeah, they should have taken at least one. So they probably had two of the top three chances in that game. No, three of the top four, I should say. And yet, they lost. And yet. Right. Now that I have actually covered off the most important part of the game and not just skip past it, uh, I told you I was a bit distracted. Um, the next game, obviously, uh, coming up uh, this weekend is uh, the Brisbane game, uh, a double header, obviously, with the women's game happening uh, as well. So this is a, a bit of a big one, especially Brisbane, top of the table. For the woman, yes, I think they are, aren't they? Two wins. Um, yeah, men's side with a win and a draw. So, yeah, I mean, both well, both of their opposition coming in with, in pretty good form. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's early doors. I mean, I've got no idea how, well, yeah, these, how these games are going to go, but. Um, if we can continue to make, you know, slow progress, I'd be you know, more than happy, yeah, on both fronts. Whether that's the case, whether that results in two wins or, yeah, maybe at least draws. Um, I think, yeah, that's a pretty good start to the season. The Brisbane women do look decent, so I think it'll be an interesting. I think it will be a real benchmarker for the Phoenix women actually this game this week. Yeah, I I think you're right, but I mean, I I think that the the women's team are at the point now where they've got to be targeting these home games, right? They've got to be, if you're going to be ambitious, and it sounds like Temps is being very ambitious. If, um, one of my workmates actually um, uh, is involved with some of Temps' uh, kids, I think. Um, and he spoke to him and he said it was okay where there was a lot of things we didn't really need to work on. We need to be better than that. So it sounds like they're being very targeted about being ambitious and, if you're going to be ambitious, you've got to be winning those home games. The men's side, I'm less clear about. Uh, how much of a work in progress is this? What do we think the personnel is going to be like? I mean, women's, it's fairly obvious. We're playing roughly that same team that played well. Yeah, I'd, I'd be very surprised if there's any change. I guess the only one is is if Bill comes back in or not. But, I mean, you look at the Brisbane side, like, they've got Scott Neville playing centre-back. Like, that doesn't exactly reek of, you know, solid, you know, a solid, you know, what? defensive line. Um, 
like, yeah, so I miss that completely. Like, I know they turned over, you know, Sydney last week, but I mean, I just look at this sign, it's like it's such a blur team, like, and maybe Ross Aloisi is, is working his magic. Um, but yeah, there's, there's nothing there that kind of jumps out and you go, oh, you gotta really watch out for that player. I, I think we should be. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think the men's side is a side we should be scared of at all. I mean, they, they've got four points like we do, but I, I agree. You look at them on paper and it shouldn't be uh, too much of a problem. You know, you should be backing our quality to get past them. But the only changes we're making here are based on injury, I think. I think Chiefy um, clearly doesn't have a depth of options at the moment. You know, there are some key positions there where he's still waiting on players to return from injury, and it's where those, where those players are at in terms of fitness that's going to dictate who he really has available to to put in a starting 11 more than anything else at this point. I think for the women, there are injury questions as well, yep. though, because I don't know where Flea is at. But when Flea is fit, who are you dropping? How are you reshaping that midfield? I think that's interesting. And if we see that this week, I'm quite intrigued. Yeah, I agree. And I think I, it's a it's a bigger problem, but only because who do you leave out rather than... Which is a good problem. And, mm. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the good kind of problem, um, unlike necessarily what you've got in the men where it's, yeah, it feels like it's a bit of tinkering around the edges and less suddenly all your injured players are back. But in the women, it's which of a great set of players do we leave out and have to have impact off the bench instead, you know? Um, yeah, I think Chiefy would love to be in that situation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I am very concerned about the Sam Sutton injury that we really haven't seen him at all. Uh, I'm I'm questioning whether this is one of these really long-term ones. It's good to see Ben Old back, um, getting some minutes, because we haven't seen him for a long time. Um, it, it does concern me when these young players go down with long-term injuries, because it, one, it's quite unusual, and it tends to mean that there's something quite substantial wrong with them. Um, uh, are we hoping that, that Ben Old's going to be playing a little more a little more game time? Do we think he kind of come... If he's fit, I would say that Ball's still coming back. Do we think that Ben Old's going to slot in to that starting lineup, Or is it more likely to be we're going to stick with Moel Tay unless Ball is ready to start? Oh, yeah, I wonder if the reason Old didn't didn't come in is because perhaps he's lacking a bit of match fitness as well, um, mm. and so we we're kind of forced into a sort of reshape. Um, so uh, I, I I I suspect if all things equal, we would have started Old. I think whether whether he's got enough legs to start this weekend is probably a, another question. That's what kind of I found quite curious is that. You do have old and ball there, knowing that you know. I would have thought you go, okay, well, old will start and ball will come on. Obviously, Chiefy didn't think that they had ninety minutes between them, which which is a bit of a bit of a concern. I mean, match fitness, yeah, sure, you can only play half a game, but you'd hope that they would each be able to play half a game or sixty minutes and thirty minutes. Um, Chiefy's made noises about old having kind of a basically a long-term injury and having to to manage that um so yeah i i, I wonder whether old's going to be up to 90 minutes or you know even starting at the moment i mean that that said the best football we played last weekend was with that starting 11 realistically you know that first half hour we looked excellent so to be honest, if we start the exact same lineup, I'm not worried. I, I agree with you. It's a bit a bit odd having to fit those three defensive midfielders in there, but it, it it's not like it was bad. Um, to be honest, Mo Alte looked looked decent out there. Um, we don't know exactly what the instructions and and exactly what the positioning was there because it, it you know um, there were elements of it that looked a little strange to watch, but it was effective. So it. Um, realistically it doesn't worry me i think whatever whatever 11 we start with here whether it be the same or whether it be some changes um it's probably fine i think it's largely in terms of strength quite similar um and whoever you start as you say you just see the kind of inverse changes be the ones off the bench i i, I find your positivity refreshing especially as it's not coming from a hooded man called cameron um someone's got to do it when he's not here right yep are we are we doing predictions? I'd better channel him and say ten nil to us. Yeah. <laughs>
the uh, women's team are playing at 2.45 in this doubleheader. Uh, obviously, Sky Stadium. Um, men's at 5.30pm, both on the Saturday, obviously. Um, I hope that you will all come along for that. Um, Helena, you you get a pass this time. But obviously... Soon. I will grace Wellington with my presence. Yeah, I'm COVID-free, so I'll be there uh, this weekend. Nice. Everyone say congrats, yeah. Dale. Uh, unless the kids get COVID, right? Yeah, that household's clear. Yeah, but those kids are little Petri dishes, mate. <laughs> if any of their friends get it. No COVID. From your words to God's ears. Right, so 2.45 for the women's, 5.30 for the men's. Uh, with nothing further to say, how about we just wrap this up? Um, thanks for listening. Hopefully we'll see you all at the game, and if not, uh, we'll be in your ears for the next pod. Bye.